I invite you now to take a Bible to open it to Proverbs 31. As a church family, we're going through a series entitled Wisdom. Less noise and more insight. Surely we're not lacking for the opportunity in our day and age to gather information, to hear commentary on events in the world. We have profound access to information and data if we want to get it. There's a lot of noise. Opportunities to grow in wisdom and maturity, though, seem almost to go against the amount of access to information that we have. So what we're doing as a, as a church family is going through five books in the Old Testament that are called wisdom books. And we're considering each book two weeks at a time. So we're kind of looking at each book from 30,000 feet, not able to go over it in all of their detail, but hopefully enough that for each of them or just one or two of them, you might say, I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever read that book of the Bible all the way through. And now I would love to read that book of the Bible all the way through. Um, so this is the first week that we are coming to Proverbs, and we're going right away to the last chapter, and what we'll do is be in this chapter for this week and next uh, to consider what it says about the entire book. But I found this a really helpful introduction in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. With each book of the Bible, he then wrote a short paraphrase, and this is his introduction to the book of Proverbs. Many people think that what's written in the Bible has mostly to do with getting people into heaven, getting right with God, saving their eternal souls. It does have to do with that, of course, but not mostly. It is equally concerned with living on this earth, living well, living in robust sanity. In our scriptures, heaven is not the primary concern to which earth is a tag-along afterthought. On earth as it is in heaven, is Jesus' prayer. Wisdom is the biblical term for this on earth as it is in heaven everyday living. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. It is virtually nothing to do with information as such. A college degree is no certification of wisdom, nor is it primarily concerned with keeping us out of moral mud puddles, although it does have a profound moral effect upon us. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents and raising our children, handling our money, conducting our sexual lives, going to work, exercising leadership, using words well, treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthily, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitudes towards others that make for peace. Threaded through all these items is the insistence that the way we think and respond to God is the most practical thing we do. In matters of everyday practicality, nothing, absolutely nothing, takes precedence over God. Proverbs concentrates on these concerns more than any other book in the Bible. Attention to the here and now is everywhere present in the stories and legislation, the prayers and the sermons that are spread over the thousands of pages of the Bible. Proverbs distills it all into riveting images and aphorisms that keep us connected in holy obedience to the ordinary. Wonderful description. Wisdom is the term for the on earth as it is in heaven everyday living that we are looking for. And so we come to this book of Proverbs, this collection of sayings, 
looking for wisdom on how to live and experience life here on earth as it is in heaven, for wisdom on how to answer the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. A proverb in and of itself is a principle. It's sort of a general rule. Sometimes we can think of a proverb as a promise, that when we read a proverb, it says, if you do this, this is what will happen. Okay, that means that's a guarantee of how it's always going to work. And that's not true, because we also have proverbs that say different things. <laughs> they say, and applying a proverb is going to vary depending on the specific situation that we're in. So we want to heed its wisdom. We want to learn what it has to say, but we want to be careful to not assume that every proverb given to us is automatically a promise. Uh, we had for a couple of months, the house next door to us was for sale, and we had had for 12 years a wonderful relationship with the neighbor next door to us. And we enjoyed it, and then when he had to move away, we felt the, the, you know, his absence. And we realized, you know, our, our, all of our houses on our street are really close to all the other houses. So it, it is really helpful uh, to have neighbors that you do get along with. And we didn't know how long it would be empty for, but we wanted as a family to say, let's make sure we pray about this and, and pray hard that in God's timing, he would enable it to, um, uh, that a family could move in that we could have a great relationship with. And that has happened over this past spring. And we've enjoyed getting to know them more and them getting to know us more. And so a few weeks ago, I said to Levi, do you remember how we prayed for that? Like for a couple months, we made it our prayer every night we went to bed. And God also, if you could make that, that next you know, family or whoever comes into the house next door would be people that we could have a great relationship with. And he said, yeah, that worked. That really worked. I was like, yes. And so I want to say to him, and so let's keep praying about things. But there is a part of me as a parent that also wants to prepare his heart that it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> not everything, you know, God's not a genie in a bottle that just kind of once we, you know, get him, we get our three wishes and anything comes. And so it's that tension of, I do believe it was important that we prayed. And there is a reason that we prayed. And we do believe God answers prayer. That's why we're asking the church to pray together as we think about the expansion of our building because it is important, but we also always want to do it with humility, that that doesn't mean we're now in charge, and we're the ones who get to tell God what he needs to do, and he has to listen to us, as much as prayer is the opportunity to talk to him, to speak with him, to discern what it is that he wants and wills, and for us to live, and so uh, this past October when we were in Jerusalem, we got to go to the Western Wall, and at the Western Wall, they separate men and women, so I had the boys with me, and we got really close to the Western Wall where many people write prayers and then roll them up and stick them into the wall. Uh, you can see pictures of it, but when you're up close uh, and you see how many prayers are in this wall, it's, it's overwhelming. And so we stood there, and Levi just looked up and said, is Jesus going to read them all? And I was like, yeah, he will. What is he going to do with all of them? I don't, know. I don't know. But you could just see the, is there anyone out there that could read all of these? Like, this is, this is a lot. And it was, yeah, it is. And every one of these people is totally right in praying. And yes, what will God do with all the myriad of prayers that are offered to him? Only he knows. Uh, and so when we come to Proverbs, we want to learn everything that it says and glean its wisdom, but recognize uh, God is still God. He is still in charge. Uh, we are always remaining his humble servants. Uh, and so the Proverbs is not a, a book of false expectations, 
uh, even when it does tell us and give us a sense that if we do work hard, if we do honor him rightly, things should go well with what we experience. Uh, So here we are, Proverbs 31, today the first nine verses. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for today. I came home after reflecting on this, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and I said, Amy, I found a great Bible verse for you as a mother of young boys. Seriously, listen. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my house? This is the perspective of a mother, a queen speaking to uh, what is at the time the prince, but then become the king. This whole chapter is the recording of a king, Lemuel, who's telling all of us what his mother told him. So it's really her words, her wisdom, and her advice passed on. And the first thing we hear say are words of admonition to her son, who is going to be a ruler. So if you ever have been frustrated and feel like you've had to say something three times, you're not alone. Everyone has to do that, and everyone experiences it. But one of the things we see here in this chapter, and it's true of the whole book, is we see an evidence of common grace. We see an evidence of common grace in the introduction that I read from Eugene Peterson that this whole book deals with common, ordinary things. It deals with life, everyday experiences that we have. What I also mean by common grace is that we know almost nothing about King Lemuel. And what we do know about the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, we have no reason to believe that he was one of those kings. And so he was not a king who was within any of the tribes of Israel, but would have been a king from the territory. And this is wisdom and insight he's passing on from his mother. And as Proverbs was assembled, there was the conviction that what is here said is for all of us to hear And we don't exactly know much about the source or the origin of the advice, which is to say, there's wisdom out there. There's wisdom in lots of different places if you're looking for it, if you're open to receiving it. The very book that says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord is also a book that includes wisdom and proverbs from multiple sources from people from whom we aren't exactly sure what their relationship is with the Lord, like King Lemuel and his mother. At the very end of the description of the virtuous woman at the end of this chapter, it says again, charm in verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So she says she gives no advice that is inconsistent with what we read in Scripture. 
but we just don't know enough about her to know where this is coming from. The wisdom, if you will, is sort of self-evident. It's true because it's true. And as people who follow the Lord, who believe in God, we recognize that the God who has made the world has his grace upon the world in all kinds of ways. Because he's a gracious God, there is a common grace that exists in the world that we don't have to be afraid of. We can recognize and honor it. So we think about that in the practice of medicine, in the exploration of science, in the organization of government, in uh, the managing of people and businesses. There's all kinds of wisdom we need. And some of that wisdom we'll get in the pages of Scripture. But some of that wisdom we'll also get through experience and through the insight of other people who've lived life before us. And there's nothing in our faith that should make us hostile from learning in all the ways God has enabled us to learn. And so it'd be wonderful if someone doing cutting-edge research in this particular area of, of medical discovery was a Christian. But if they aren't, it doesn't mean their wisdom is any less wisdom. It doesn't mean the truth they discover is any less true if they don't happen to be a Christian. And so the example I've used before, if you needed surgery uh, this afternoon and it was significant, you would love to hear if that person about to perform surgery on you shared your faith. But as much or more, you'd love to hear that they actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> if someone said, I've never actually done surgery before, but I'm gonna pray before I do this. You should say, sorry, I'm gonna find someone else. I'm going to find someone who committed their lives to learning about this, to studying it, who's done it before, and learn from someone who knew what they were doing in the practice of this. That's also wisdom. That's just an evidence of God's common grace because every human being is made in his image. Even those who don't acknowledge him as God reflect God when they give themselves to do good work, to express beauty in this world, and care for other people. Now, we, we're always reminded of the challenging words of Christ. What does it profit anyone to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so that is something that we can say to the most brilliant doctor or scientist or government leader who does not acknowledge God. That always remains true. What does it profit to gain everything but to lose our soul in the process? But it's also true that God has blessed Every one of us, in some capacity, we all have gifts, and all those gifts can be used for his honor and his service. And here is wisdom from Lemuel's mother that is received as wisdom that we need to hear, that is a unique voice and a unique perspective. Most of the Proverbs, we believe, are uh, from Solomon, someone who prayed for wisdom and was considered the wisest man in all of uh, the time in the history of the nation of Israel. And so he's giving wisdom, thinking through what now his, the next generation, as they assume responsibilities of leadership in Israel, are going to need. And so the majority of what we would read are wisdoms from Solomon, who prayed for wisdom and God gave it to him. But in that gift, Solomon was also given the ability to discern wisdom wherever he found it. To know what was true was true simply because it was true. And what was then helpful to be shared and to passed on was good to be organized and passed on. And so in all of this is believing that we are made in God's image as male and female. 
and therefore that God has given us his light and the capacity and the potential for growth and knowledge and discovery. We have this testimony at the end from a female perspective on wisdom, from a mother's perspective to a son. And it's beautiful. Sometimes we think of Proverbs 31 as a description about women, and it is the second half. And we miss over Lemuel's description to say, actually, it's not just about women. This is, this is from a woman. <laughs> Let me tell you what my mom told me. And it's a great picture. I was in a meeting on Monday uh, as part of a, an organization that I'm blessed to be a part of as a pastor's network in locally and nationally uh, that helps connect me with other pastors and churches in the area. But I was in a series of meetings and then I was, as part of that schedule, asked to meet with a woman who was gonna go over uh, not as much planning of events and resourcing for pastors, but more of a technical discussion of finances. And so I was prepared to go into this 45 minute discussion. Okay, now we're talking numbers. And she just sat down and she said, you know, I love when I'm meeting people to ask them this question. When was the last time the gospel made you cry and why? I was like, that is an amazing question. And I don't know that I ever would have thought to ask that to someone. <laughs> and I really appreciate the wisdom that you've experienced in life and your comfort level at just starting off right there. So I said, can I tell you two stories? She said, sure. And the majority of the time, we didn't talk numbers at all. <laughs> it was an amazing question. But I, I, I realized the gap in my own way of getting to know people that I, I would just say, I'm, you know, maybe that's a little too forward for people uh, to start off meeting them that way. And there was just no inhibition on her part to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that before you. I'm going to ask you, when was the last time the gospel brought you to tears and why? What a good question. And, and many of us who are blessed to have godly mothers and grandmothers, uh, you, you know it. Uh, there is nothing I will learn, no amount of information that I believe will make me more wise than them. Uh, there isn't. And if I've learned enough from them, hopefully God has given me the ability and the gift to learn from them, to cherish them, to value what it is they have to say. And this is the common grace that God has given. And one of the things that Lemuel's mother identifies is the common danger that her son and anyone in power faces. So from common grace to common danger. When he says, when she's giving this advice, which she's repeating, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing? Do not give your strength to women. Women could be translated harem or a group of women, which is basically saying you as a king are going to be tempted to not be faithful to your one wife, but to have a, an entourage of relationships, to have girlfriends and concubines and many wives. And this plea of what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing, don't give your strength to them is not a statement of hostility towards women. It's telling a person in power, don't abuse your power. Do not take advantage of the position that you have to break and violate the vows you made to be faithful to one person. That's what she's saying. Don't use it. You will be powerful enough that most people have to do what you say. If they don't do what you say, you can get rid of them. 
And when you have that kind of power, even when you ask people to do things that are wrong, most of the time they will do it because they don't want to offend you. And so she's saying, don't use the authority and the position that you have as king to just satisfy your own pleasure. Don't use your power and authority to ask other people to do something that is wrong. Don't do it. This is a common danger that many of us fall into, that when we have the power to do what we want, it brings out some of the most negative desires of our hearts. And she's saying, don't ever make an excuse for it. And we as Christians should never make an excuse for it. It's still something that personally we should value individually, but also when we consider the rulers of our uh, local government, our state government, our national government, our global institutions, it's the same thing. God has not given anyone a position of power here on earth that gives them the freedom, the freedom to violate his will, his law, or anyone made in his image. God has given no person the authority and the power in this world to violate his will, his law, or any other person made in his image. And you can hear this woman saying to her son, don't do it. What are you doing? It's a common danger. It's a common temptation. And she's holding him to account. Then she goes on to say, another danger will be that when you're faced with the responsibility that you have over other people, and there's anxiety about decisions related to international affairs, uh, governing other people, making decisions that affect a lot of people. One of the ways that we go, that we alleviate stress and anxiety in our lives is through the consumption of alcohol or other similar things. One of the ways when we have a lot of responsibility and it's stressing us out, we're not sure what to do, and we need help calming down that we go to or alcohol, or drugs, or other illicit things that help us in the moment feel good. It's a common danger. It's not just a danger for kings, it's a danger for any of us. What do you do when you're really stressed out? What do you do when you're really anxious? What do you do when you're scared about what you have to do tomorrow? The world offers many shortcuts to say, don't feel as scared, here's a way just to forget, it's not as bad as you think. And she is saying, don't do that. Because one, not only does it not ultimately calm you down, but then it gets you into a place where now you actually make bad decisions. So if you're overwhelmed by your need to make decisions, but then you go to things that will only encourage you to make bad decisions, you now have the authority to make those bad decisions over the things that were stressing you out. And she's saying, don't do that. Do, do not do that. Don't take advantage of your power and the opportunity you have to alleviate the stress and the anxiety through these things. It'll make you a bad leader. The fact that she's saying it is a recognition that this is a common danger. So I hope no one listening to me has only a specific image of one person in their mind. The whole point is this is a battle we all face. This is a temptation for all of us. But she's saying, 
because it's common, heed the wisdom. Recognize that that's a temptation. Recognize that relationships with other human beings is a temptation. Recognize that going to strong alcohol or drugs or whatever it is to calm down is a common temptation. Those are common. And so have ways in which, one, if you've done it, there's already a sense in verse two that this guy's not doing this really well because there's this, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? I.e., you've already been doing this. Stop doing this. That if you are doing it, that you would feel convicted to repent. That if you aren't doing it, that you would build into your life whatever it is that's helpful to make sure you don't get to this place because you will be tempted in these ways. The next thing we see, though, is her call for her son to be an uncommon leader. So here are the common dangers that you're facing, but then she challenges past that to say, now here's what I want you to do with the authority that's been entrusted to you. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. A leader who does that is an uncommon leader, who gives their time and effort and their position of authority and influence for the sake of those who do not have it. There's a medicinal component to those who are suffering and sick to give them strong drink. There's also those who just don't have the means to ever throw themselves a big party. Throw them a party. Let them celebrate good things in life as well. Don't only just include all those who have power like you do. Pass on the goodness of this world. Let other people join in the celebrations that you have. And then eight and nine, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously and defends the rights of the poor and needy. It's a really uncommon thing for someone to be strict in their personal morals and conviction and extraordinarily generous in compassion to others. We're more inclined to think you'll be really generous and compassionate to others if you're just not a very strict person. You know, if if you don't make a big deal about things, you can kind of just easily say, hey, anyone's welcome to the party. But what she's saying is, no, I'm telling you to take something seriously, to take your personal life and your personal holiness seriously. It matters. Live according to God's wisdom. Honor him in the way you do things and be extraordinarily generous with those who are suffering and are in pain. If we're not as strict, then we feel the freedom, just sort of guilt by association to be generous. It's an uncommon reality to say we want in our personal lives to be as consistent and as honorable as we can be and that no one would feel ashamed to be in our presence. And then if you ask, well, who's ever done that? I mean, well, only one person, and his name is Jesus. He's an uncommon savior. He made absolutely no moral compromises in his life and people that would have been ashamed to be in the presence of others or comfortable in his presence. What a savior. 
but he didn't use any of his compassion, his generosity, any of his speaking for those who were destitute, any of his extension of joy and blessing to those who were left out and marginalized. He didn't use any of that to then justify any unholiness in his life. He lived with integrity in all of his dealings, took no advantage of any woman, took no advantage of any power, used no artificial substance to alleviate his stress or anxiety. Saw the world sober, eyes wide open, and loved everyone amazingly, indiscriminately. And so... Uh, it's the quote in your handout if you have one, but when we look through everything that's described about wisdom in Proverbs, we see that the New Testament tells us that the personified divine wisdom of the Old Testament is actually Jesus. He is the one that lived in this extraordinary way. He is an uncommon Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do give us grace for every day that you do give us wisdom in all kinds of ways to live this life that you care about its details you care about what we really are tempted with and what we struggle with on an ordinary basis that you aren't asking any of us just to hold on till one day but you invite us to join you in prayer that it would be on earth as it is in heaven that we would live out our faith with integrity, that we would be compassionate and kind to those who are left out and often forgotten, that you would use us to be a voice for the oppressed and the destitute. God, we pray that you would help us to heed the warnings and the wisdom of this book, to take seriously everything that you call us to as individuals and to live out as light and salt in this world everything that you call us to do uh, as a family, as a body of believers in this place. Uh, we confess that people could speak over our lives and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? So we do pray that you'd help all of us to repent, to recognize our need for your grace, to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.